Man, what a good day. Uh, man. Welcome. If I haven't gotten to say good morning to you yet and welcome to you online, we're so glad you're with us as well. Um, it's our hope today is a blessing to you as you seek to follow Jesus. Next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Don't Waste Your Life, and it'll go through the month of May. So I want to encourage you to come back, join us for that series. Uh, I'm really excited about getting started in that next week. But as we get going today, um, I'm sure you've noticed of recent weeks in the news headlines, um, our world is crazy. Um, it is insane. And you see the war going on between Ukraine and Russia right now. Um, this past year, we had the most deaths in U.S. history. Um, the previous year, 2020, was the most deaths, but 2021 exceeded that. Not just simply because of COVID, but now because of overdoses and fentanyl and other drugs that are going on. We have more and more marriage struggles that are just seeking to hang on. Addiction, depression, politics. In the news this past week, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there were two separate incidents where youth umpires were attacked. 12 and 13-year-old umpires by parents or coaches because they failed to make the right call. And the, the news to me is that we have seemed to make a mess of things. Um, we, we're a part of that. We contribute to that. But that's nothing new. That is the way the world has been for thousands of years, if you go back in time. In fact, the story that we celebrate today had its origins in a time when the world was a complete and utter mess. The reigning superpower of the day was a nation called Rome. And they took everything they wanted by power and force. And if you did not submit and bow your knee to the empire, then they would hang you on a cross. They killed thousands and thousands. And this story we celebrate has its origins on a cross. The, the story of the resurrection actually begins days earlier. As Jesus of Nazareth, basically this political, religious exile is sentenced to death. Sentenced by the Romans, basically who the religious establishment of the day was using to do their dirty work. And so Jesus is sentenced to die on a cross where He breathes His last breath and He is placed in a tomb. It's the moment in time where we see evil at its absolute worst. Evil does the very worst it could possibly do to someone by killing an innocent man, hanging him on a cross. And it's the origins of that story that leads us into this story in Luke 24. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Now that same day, what is the same day referring to? The same day is the same day of the story right before it where these women who were disciples of Jesus have rushed to the tomb to find that the tomb was empty as they were searching for His body. So that same day, two of them 
were going to a village called Emmaus. And Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Even to this day, Emmaus wasn't a major city. And today, archaeologists are still not sure which city this is because it wasn't super important. But what does happen is Jesus, who was crucified in Jerusalem and told that he was going to come back to Jerusalem, finds these disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, going away from the city where Jesus had promised to return. Going on. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Everything that had happened being this crucifixion of Jesus. How Jesus was placed on a cross that He gave up His life. And with it, they gave up their hope. Their hope that Jesus was this Messiah. Going on verse as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. Now imagine this, as they're on this seven-mile journey to the city of Emmaus, and Jesus comes up with these two disciples who are walking along the road. They're, they're walking back, I'm guessing, to their home. We don't really know who these two travelers are at this point in the story. But they walk along the road, and it says this, but they were kept from recognizing Him. These disciples who had spent so much time with Jesus and had been around Him encountered Jesus on the road, but somehow they're kept from recognizing Him. And I wonder what kept them from it. I don't think it was a spiritual problem. I think it was an imagination problem. That, that's my, my guess. They, they struggled to imagine that this could even be a possibility. That someone who died, they saw breathe his last breath, could possibly be raised from the dead. That, that's not possible. That's not something we can comprehend. That's not something we can think about. Because that's something we've not seen before. But if these people had been following Jesus, here's the thing, they had seen it before. They had seen a dead girl raised. They had seen Lazarus raised. They had seen resurrection. The problem was the person who raised them from the dead is the one who is now dead. And in their mind, this was the only possibility. That the one who had the power to raise the dead is the one who could possibly be Messiah. But if he was dead, if he was in the tomb, then there's no hope. And so Jesus walks up to them, and they don't recognize him. And it says next, he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along the road? So Jesus has died, and now he comes up to these disciples walking along the road. I'm guessing maybe puts his arms around them and says, hey, what are y'all talking about? What, what's going on? What, what are y'all talking about? What are y'all thinking about? 
as you walk along the road. And it says next, they stood still, and their faces were downcast. They, they stood still, I'm guessing with the sense of despair. As they start to explain what it is they've been talking about. And it says next, one of them, one of them, there we go, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What are y'all talking about? Are you the only one who does not know everything that's gone on in these last few days? Because the whole city of Jerusalem has been a buzz. And it's been the topic of conversation. See, I'm guessing these disciples, as they travel to Emmaus, are on their way home. And as I've talked to people who have lost loved ones, one of the things I've heard time and time again is one of the places, the, the most difficult places to go is back home. After the loss of a loved one. After the divorce is final. After you've said goodbye. It, it's going back home. And the weight of the empty house and the emotion that there was once another person here who was part of my life who is now absent. As you sit down for lunch today, it's the, the seat at the table that used to be filled by a mom or a dad, a spouse or a child. And it's that sense that hope has somehow been lost. Because there is this deep sense of pain and anguish and hurt. Because there is a void. And these disciples who have given so much of their life and so much of their time following Jesus now have this void. And they don't recognize the very one who stands there talking to them is Jesus. The one they had hoped would save them and redeem them and rescue them is the one who is speaking with them. Don't you know all the things that have happened in the last days? Because it's been pretty difficult here these last few days and now we're headed somewhere. We've got somewhere to be. Because we don't know where else to go. We don't know what else to do. And so Jesus looks at them and says, what things what are you talking about? 
which to me is just so crazy in this story. That Jesus, the one who all of this has happened to, asked them to explain to him what is going on. And the way that they perceive the events of the last days. What things? And then the rest of 19, he says this. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Going on. The chief priest and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And then comes a really big but. 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 We had hoped he was the one. We we were hoping that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. We, We had hoped he was the one who was going to save us. We had hoped he was the one that was going to resurrect us. You have these disciples explaining to the creator of the world how this creation was supposed to function. You you have these disciples explaining to the author of life how the story was supposed to go. That Jesus was this powerful prophet and we had hoped He was the one that God had spoken about from the beginning who was going to save and redeem us as a people. And now He's dead. He's dead. And we've been waiting for three days for hope. Have you ever tried to explain to God how the story was supposed to go? How things were supposed to line out? Because we are a people who loves to be in control. We love to have control of things. And when that semblance of control is taken away, it scares us to death. Because God, here's how I was planning my life. Because I was going to go to college and I was going to get married in college and I was going to walk away with my degree and I was going to get this great job that pays six figures right away with this great big company and everything was going to go fine and we were going to have 2.5 kids and they were going to be absolute perfect because we're experts on parenting right now because we don't have any. And then we're going to have these great kids who grow up and never get into trouble. And they're all going to be perfect and they're going to get married and they're going to have kids and then we're going to have grandparents and we're going to live together and then we're going to die at the same moment at the very end. We're going to breathe our last breath and then it's over. Now God, if you could get on that, it'd be great. Anyone's story play out just like that my guess is there have been some potholes along the way where the story didn't play out just the way you expected where you lost someone 
or where the marriage fell apart. Or your kid struggled and you didn't know what to do. And our hope is that if God would just get on our page, and if He would just play the game by our rules, then everything would work out okay. And I think it's in those moments when it seems like that sense of control is completely taken out of our hands that our hope seems to diminish. Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever struggled to imagine what tomorrow could be because of the events that have just happened? Have you ever struggled to imagine that things could rebound? That things could get better? That there could be the possibility of resurrection? Have you ever stopped hoping? And once you... You would put so much hope in. To the point where you felt like you needed to explain to God how things were supposed to work. How things were supposed to go. See, we had hoped He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped He was the one that was going to save us. But this does not make sense in our head. And here's the crazy thing. Is it was exactly what God was doing in the moment. From the very beginning of the story as sin enters the world in the garden, God begins this pursuit of His creation. Loving them and calling them back Saying, come and follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing in this world. And constantly, the creation loses focus and loses sight on what is so important. And sin and death do its worst. And God, in this very pivotal moment in human history, steps into the story of this creation as a man. As a little baby. And he grows up into a world that is full of death and destruction where sin is wreaking havoc over this creation. And yet, God becomes flesh out of a love for His creation. That He would enter into the story with us. And deal with the things that we deal with on a daily basis. As sin wreaks havoc on the world. And so these disciples continue as they tell Jesus what was supposed to happen. And it says, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They had gone there to prepare his body. They had gone there with spices to anoint his body. And there was a problem. The tomb was empty. And they came back and they told us 
what had happened. And they said, we have seen a vision of angels. And the angel said, he is alive. He is not here. He was alive. And then some of our own companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. See, and I think this story goes so far beyond their comprehension. Even though Jesus has told them this is how it's going to work and this is how the story is going to unfold. When the one who's been raising people from the dead is now dead, now your hope is dead as well. This was just another failed story. Another failed revolutionary. As Jesus hung on a cross, as He breathed His last breath, so did the hope of the disciples who had followed and given their life to Him. How in the world do we keep moving forward? How in the world do we keep believing in a God who says He was going to be King, but now He was placed in a tomb? How do we keep going forward? And he said to them, How foolish you are. This is Jesus talking now. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. Now understand, in this part of the story, they have not yet made it to where they're going. But in the journey, they are learning more than they could ever imagine. It's on the road to Emmaus that they're learning and growing. It's on the road to Emmaus that they're getting new eyes so that they can see. It's on the road to Emmaus that's preparing them for what they will find when they get to Emmaus. That God is at work. And so it is with our story as well. So many times it's in the journey. It's on the way that we're learning and finding God in new ways. In new places. Where God is speaking to us. And God is teaching us. And God is leading us. And God is pushing us forward. That we begin to see Him in new ways. That He begins to open up our imagination to the possibility of something new. Of something that goes beyond our comprehension. Of something that's beyond our imagination. They're learning on the journey. And they arrive finally at Emmaus. And the text says that it looked like Jesus was just going to keep on going. He was going to keep on going, but they're at the point of arrival, and they invite Jesus to come inside. And inside, they share this meal together. This meal that reminds them of a meal a few days earlier. 
And it's in this meal that it says they begin to realize who it is that's with them. It's in this meal that they realize this is Jesus. The one we had placed our hope in. The one we were waiting for. The one we were searching for. It's almost as if in that moment, God was so close to them, but they had no comprehension that it was God. No idea that God could be that close and not realize that it was Him. We spend our life searching, longing for God to show up. Especially in the times where we go through pain and heartache. Those times when we're searching for the answers, only to find that the answer was right next to us the whole time time see the beauty of getting to gather as the people of God is we believe the spirit of God dwells within each of us and as we go through difficult times I believe God comes into our world not through these supernatural acts but through the everyday humanity of flesh and blood, saying to one another, I am here with you. I am walking along this road with you. And I am for you. And it's in those times when we feel we are alone, I think that we begin to realize that God was right there all along. But our imagination could not see it. That God was there through the very people we encounter who represent Him, who are His hands and feet on this earth. And we get to see the body of Christ through the people of Christ. And just then, as they share this meal around the table, it says they recognize that it was Jesus. They realized it was Jesus. And in verse 32, they said, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning inside of us with hope? Because I think so many times when things don't work the way we plan them to, it's not hope that burns within our hearts, but it's despair. It's the question of how do we continue on? What does tomorrow look like? How do we keep going? How do we keep moving forward? 
But what they find as they encounter Jesus is not hearts burning with despair, but now it's hearts burning with hope. That there is the possibility that something new is happening. That there is a possibility that even though we saw Jesus breathe His last breath and we saw Him placed in a tomb, there is hope that the tomb is empty. And there is hope that death doesn't get the final word. And there is hope that this is not the end of the story. That there is a new day coming. And their hearts burn with hope. Because this day, this first day, is the day when good finally defeats evil. Because evil has done its worst. It tortures and kills an innocent man. There is nothing worse that you could do to someone. And here in the moment, in the power of this moment, an innocent man, Jesus, does not seek revenge. He does not say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He does not hold it over their head. But instead, He looks into the face of those who are murdering Him with outstretched arms and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, sin and death have no power over me because I am sinless. And therefore, the cost of that sin, which is death, is not held over Him either. And throughout Scripture, it says it was God that raised Jesus from the dead. It was God, the righteous judge, who vindicated Jesus, His Son. Because death and sin had no power over Him. It could not hold Him in the ground. See, and here's here's the amazing thing about this story. This story demands that we ask a question. What if it's true? What if this story, recorded in the four Gospels, is true. Because here's the thing, if it's not true, Jesus gives you some great words to live by. The, The world is a better place. But if it's true, it's not just about the world being a better place, it's about the world being transformed into a new creation. If it's true, It changes everything about what we assumed about the world. And it expands our imagination to see God at work in ways that we could never see or never imagine or never explain. It opens the doors to new possibility of a new day where sin and death no longer reign over the earth, but Jesus Christ as King reigns. And our hope is in Him. See, and I can tell you story after story of what's written. But the beautiful thing is I can tell you story after story of what I've experienced as the family of God. 
I, I can tell you story after story of resurrection. I, I can tell you story after story of hope. I can tell you story after story where our plans didn't quite work out the way that we assumed they would. You know, a few minutes ago I, I said we are people who like to have control. And I'll just tell you I like control. In fact, why don't, let's just do, I think this will be good therapy, therapy for everyone. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them I like to have control. If, if we can just admit that. So, some of you are not doing that, I'm assuming, because you're in denial. But, but there is a side of us that loves to have control. I, I've shared with, with many of you, I went through a really, really difficult time the last couple of years dealing with depression. But I never really shared what it was that really drove me into depression. As I was struggling and battling, I started going to a counselor. And one of the things that, that we discovered as we talked and we talked and we talked was I was trying to control so many things that were completely outside of my control. Because the whole COVID thing turned our world upside down. And I will tell you, that was not the way I had imagined things. And that wasn't what I had had planned. And what was scary for me in those times, because I'd never experienced anything like this in my life, but I remember on a couple of occasions just crying uncontrollably and feeling like I had no control of anything and not knowing what to do and not knowing where to go. But I had this moment, and I kind of shared a few weeks ago, sitting with our shepherds, as I was telling them all that was going on and all that I was struggling with, where they, as the body of Christ, gathered around me. And they put their hands on me, and they prayed for me, and they prayed over me. And it was in that, that moment that I think I really understood what these disciples grasped as they shared this meal with Jesus. As they realized it was Him. It was Him with them the whole time. And for me, it was... Him with me the whole time through other people who were committed to walking with me, who were committed to being with me, who were committed to loving me. When I wanted more than anything else to have control and realizing that I had none of it, that I couldn't do anything. 
to say the least, this is not how I imagine things playing out. Because all my life, I've been the one who had it all together. I, I tried to stand up here and be the one who looked like they knew the answers and knew what came next and knew where I was going and where we were going. And then I went through this period of time where all the things that I thought I had control of I realized we're completely out of my control. And it was only then when I finally came to this realization and surrendered that I think I truly got to see the power of God at work. Not, not that He hadn't been there before but that I had never seen it like that before. That God showed Himself to me in a way that I couldn't imagine. What if? What if it's true? What if the tomb was empty? Because Jesus had risen from the dead. If it's true, it changes everything. And that is a question that every single one of us must ask ourselves every single day. And every single day, Hopefully, it leads to the very same response. That God, I can't do it any longer. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of power and of strength. Falling down before the Creator of the world and saying, God, my marriage is broken. Or I don't know what to do about my kids. Or my life isn't going the way I planned. Or God, I'm battling addiction. Or fear and anxiety or depression. Or I can't deal with the anger. I can't deal with lack of control. And it's in that moment, if we will fall down and surrender that we will find the power of Jesus that raises us from the dead. And I just want to invite you today, maybe for the very first time, maybe for the 2,000th time, to surrender. To let go of all the things that you think you control. All of the ways that you assume you're in charge. To once again fall down before the throne of the risen Savior of the world. And give Him your life.
Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for this day. And Father, I pray your blessing on us. A people who think we control so many things, that think we have it planned out. Father, once again, just to realize that we don't. Once again, that we need you to save us. And Father, many times it's just simply to to save us from ourselves. Father, would you enter into our world, enter into our mess, because Father, we had hoped you were the one. Remind us once again that you are. You are the one that saves, and you are the one that redeems, and you are the one who paid this incredible price for our sins. But Father, it was God who raised you from the dead and makes us ask the question, what if it's true? And so Father, today, once again, we surrender all that we are to the King of the universe, King Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.